What is up, everybody? Welcome back to our podcast series. Happy New Year. Um, I'm along with my co-host, Alexi Fernandez, not here today, with a very special guest all the way from the land down under, the biggest God puller hater, and the most hilarious man on Instagram, Kid Dale. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. How are you, kid? I mean, do you mind telling us a bit how you got into jujitsu? Uh, who you're a black belt under, you know? Sure. I um, I originally got into jujitsu because I was, I was actually trying to find an MMA school, uh, more for self defense than anything, because I was playing Australian rules football, in in back in Australia, and I was a little bit uh, underdeveloped at the time, and I was playing like a high league, like first division which is full of very athletic dudes. And they kind of figured out that if they physically intimidate me, I will not play as well. So I wanted to learn how to protect myself because I, I didn't like feeling you know, insecure and scared. So I tried to find a, an MMA school and I did. And then maybe three sessions in, we did a little bit of jujitsu. And I remember being there and looking at this little kid that was uh, I was about to roll with and thinking, smash this kid this is going to be easy and then he just destroyed me and from then on i was just like man this is uh this is some real you know real shit and i want to learn how to do this so i um so i'll turn that on so on so i found a school a little bit closer to where i was living and it was only a very small school run by a, a guy that was a, a brown belt and he mainly did nogi uh, and i started training there for probably a, a year and then I, I felt like I outgrew that school. I, I, I learned quite quickly. And uh, within a year, I was a blue belt. And uh, I think it was 10 months I was a blue belt. And then I wanted to find somewhere a little bit better that had better training partners. And there was a place in the city run by a, a guy named Peter DeBean. And I think he was a fourth degree black belt at the time. So I went and trained with them because he had black belts already there. He had brown belts. Uh, it was just a lot of better training partners. And I went and trained there. And uh, I did that for maybe two years till I got my brown belt. And then I, um, and then Yuri Samoz, uh, if people are not sure who that is, he's one of the best grapplers in the world. Uh, under, he was under Leo Vieira. And um, I started, he was moving to Australia and I, I found him a place to train and teach. And then I, I moved in there with him. So I, I started training underneath him for probably six months. And then he decided he didn't want to stay in Australia. And he left to, I think he came to America. And then I went, uh, I took over as coach. So I was, I think, a brown belt coaching at the time. And then I eventually came to America in 2013, I believe. And I got my black belt under Yuri Samoz, but Yuri was only a black belt himself. So he wasn't technically allowed to give it to me. So we got you, Lucas Lage to, to give it to me. Um, but it was mainly under the word of, of Yuri. So that's kind of how I, uh, how I got into jujitsu and that they were who, were who I was under. But like, to be 100% honest, um, I was never really under anyone. I was always doing my own thing. Uh, if you ever watched me turn up to training, I, I wasn't really, and this is, not at all to disrespect the coaches, but the thing that I found interesting in jujitsu was figuring out things for myself. 
I wasn't really interested in people telling me exactly how to do something because I felt like it removed a lot of the beauty in what learning really is and it's discovering things. So I used to come and I would just do my own thing. I would try and figure out things myself. I would experiment. I would play around. I'd be told that everything I did was crap. And then eventually I just figured a lot of stuff out. And I think that it's a huge reason of why I developed as quick as what I did because I didn't rely on people to teach me or tell me what to do. I figured it out myself. Do you, um, do, do you basically put this same idea across to your students as well, to be flexible with ideas, to try things? I mean, how do you run your classes, for example? Well, I don't have any classes here right now, but a lot of my stuff is online. But if I was running classes, what I would generally do is we would come in, we would do a warm-up. The warm-up would consist of some problem-solving drills because I want them to get warm, but I want them to develop some skill. And I'm not talking about, you know, like developing the skill of hip escaping across the floor or front rolls. You know, that's uh, very basic stuff that I feel like people should do in their own time. Uh, I would do it, like maybe it's like maintaining a certain grip or holding certain grips. Like for example, and I'll move back to show this, I'll tell people to hold grips on people's wrists and the people that had their, their wrists taken, I would say, just move around lightly. I want the person that's holding just to feel what it's like, to feel how far you can go before those grips eventually disappear and just get like a feeling and a malleable understanding of it. So it's an example of like a warm up, um, And it really depends on the level of the students too. If they're brand new people, it's going to be a little bit more hands-on than what it is if I've got black belts on the mat. If I've got black belts with a warm up, I can just say, okay, guys, I want you to do this. Uh, it might be one for one takedowns. So they're going one for one, very smooth takedowns and not in a sense of uh, drilling a takedown. It's more you're both just very lightly pushing against each other and doing what would, you would naturally do and just trying to figure out takedowns for that particular moment. So they're problem solving, but at a pace that's you know easy for their body to warm up and easy for their mind to figure things out. Uh, that would be the warm up. Then we would go into a certain area. Uh, and let's say it could be like half guard that we're working on. And I would talk about half guard position and depending on who's there and what students they are, I'm also going to tailor that information. If they're brand new students or if there is some, then I'm going to have to be very basic with it. If there's some advanced guys, then I can, I can move on a lot quicker and be a little bit more advanced with it. But I would talk about the position. I would talk about what I think about when I'm in this position and the things that I think are really important. And then I would get them to go out there and play with that position. Now it might be the fact that I want you to learn, I want you to figure out five different ways to pass this guard. Okay. It could be that. And the whole idea is just to get them thinking, just to get them problem solving and, and get out of the routine of being told exactly what to do and being comfortable trying to figure things out themselves and become better problem solvers. I also might make it a little bit more advanced. I might say, okay, now this is uh you, we want to really pass from here and I want you to really defend from here. So we go into um, positional sparring from that position. And there'd be a lot of things that I want to tell them, but I wait until they go to a position where I know they're going to have certain problems that when they come back in, I have that solution ready for them. So I'm creating a supply and demand chain of setting up, I'm setting up, you know, games and scenarios where I know they're going to fail so that when they come in, I can give them the answers for them to now succeed. And they're not you know, exact technical answers, but it's just conceptual and principle answers. Like it could be examples like, you know, I'm struggling from this position here. And I, I would say like, it's because you're allowing them to, you know, to 
uh, hold the distance really tight and close. So you're always going to have problems in there. What you want to make sure is you're always keeping the distance and framing. I'm just making up some crap right now, but at least what, what happens is when, when you have a situation and you have a problem and someone gives you a simple solution, their light bulb moments like, ah, oh, ah, oh, and they flash and you remember them rather than me telling them this at the start of the session and then them having no information or no contextual, um, you know, ideas of it, you know, or the word I'm looking for is a little bit different, but they have um, no association with what I'm teaching them. It's going to go through one ear and out the other. And this happens in everything. I've learned many different things. And I, I see this because I do get coached in a lot of things where people will tell you stuff and it makes no sense to me because I don't have the experience yet. I don't have the association with what they're telling me. For example, I, I learned snowboarding last year and they told me all of this stuff before I went snowboarding. None of it made any sense to me. It just went in one ear and out the other. But once I started trying to snowboard and I started falling over and crashing and then getting a little bit of a hang of it, suddenly when they started telling me stuff, I go, oh, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. So I try and get them to develop some experience in an area before I give them any kind of lesson on that. And then at the end of it, it would be just free rolling where they get a chance to work on things they want to work on. Uh, obviously, like there might be guys that don't like playing half guard or they've got a body that's really not good for half guard. So we can go and allow them, you know, time for them to start playing around. And they can always ask questions. I encourage them to ask questions. But what I'm really trying to develop, you know, um, conceptually, imagine I'm trying to develop a really like if you want to get really muscular okay you want to be a, a heavy bodybuilder what i'm trying to do is create a really good gym for them to have enough weights for them to develop and what i mean by that is you can't you know as a bodybuilder or anything like that you can't just tell someone what to do and they're going to get bigger you have to supply them with the tools for them to develop themselves and what i mean is you can't you know do the weights for them you can show them the door but they're going to have to walk through it and same thing with jujitsu i and I, I see this so often. It's a huge trap where people tell people exactly what to do. And then they tell them to go drill that and they're going to be really good. And no doubt they'll probably execute that technique, but it's going to be so unorganic and not, you know, not perfect for that one moment. And they're going to become forceful and think that, oh, I need to get fitter and stronger to get this technique on because uh, it's not working as well. It's because you become predictable and people know exactly what you're trying to do. And then you, you end up in this like chain of having to wait for your teacher to teach you a new technique. Every single time you get a new position, suddenly that technique works. Suddenly the person changes a position like, okay, now I'm stuck here. What do I do here? Okay. Here's a new technique. I want you to practice. And then you do that. And then the guy changes something else and you know, I'm stuck again. And it becomes a bad system of you just relying on someone to teach you and you don't really develop, um, intellectually the way you probably would if you were just playing with your ideas and practicing yourself. Um, so I try and create an environment that the students can then use to get the best out of themselves. And you can't choose, you know, you can have, you can be a great coach. doesn't mean you're going to turn every single student into a great competitor or anything like that. It's there's so much that's determined by that student, but the better coach, you, the better a coach you are, the more potential they're going to have of developing really quickly. But I, I see this all the time where you see uh, big schools and it could be Atos, it could be John Danaher's and they're like, these, these coaches are the best coaches because they've got the best people. And then you got to look and go, okay, how many of those people were brought up in that environment? How many people just came across when they're already really good? And I know I knew Atos at the time they had, 
you know, Galval there, who was obviously there because it was his. But you had uh, the Mendez brothers came across from, uh, I forget their coach. Um, you had uh, Claudia Calasans came across. Almost every single person were already really good black belts and came across there because they want to train with the guys there. Same thing at Danaher's. How many of those guys, I mean, Danaher was there for like 20 years. How many of them were brought up all the way under Danaher? Very little of them. You know, Gordon came across, was already uh, brown or black belt. Gary came across. Uh, all the other guys... Craig Jones came across. They all came across when they were already really good. But training in that environment is great for them because they've got so many people to test their, you know, their skills against. Um, so a lot of it is not to do with the coach. It's like you're going to have these good guys that that come in all over the world, like uh, the two boys in Norway, Tommy Langacker and um, Espen Mateus. That it doesn't matter where they are; they're going to they're going to be really good because they're doing it themselves. It was the same thing with me. It didn't matter who coached me; I was going to be good because I was really interested in figuring things out. And there are going to be so many students like that. Even if they're under bad coaches, they're going to be good. But there's a lot of good coaches that are going to have bad students that there's nothing you can do with. This guy comes to you. He wants you to tell him exactly how to do things. And then he leaves and he doesn't even put any thought into developing. There's no more thought in that. When I leave something, I'm sitting there thinking, dude, this guy submitted me today. How can I, what did I do wrong? How can I change this? And anytime I'm rolling with someone, let's say me and you roll, even if it looks like I dominated, there'll still be things that I'm sitting there thinking of like, fuck, this didn't work. This didn't work. This happened. This happened. They might be tiny little minuscule things that you didn't even notice, but I'm sitting there thinking about it. And when you have a student like that, it's easy to get someone, you know, they're going to be really good regardless. So the, better, the best thing you can do is create a really good gym so that can, they can get the best out of themselves, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. So kind of in a nutshell, it's, it's on the student more like you as a student to find that right environment. But like you said, to, to question everything, you know, you go in there with the game, but then still, even like you said, if you do well, just question it. Okay. Yeah, everything. And that's, I mean, uh, Socrates said it. I think it was called the Socratic method that the key to human excellence is questioning oneself and others. And it's like every time you're in something like, why, why, why? And I always encourage students to say this because a lot of students have the, they have the habit of saying, how can I do this? Or they say, what, how, what if I do this instead of like, why am I doing this? So if someone's showing me a technique, I'm always, and it's easier now because I can literally sit there and I can see why he's doing what he's doing. But at the beginning, it was much more beneficial for me to go, why are you doing that? And half the time, the students, I mean, the coaches wouldn't even know because they're just repeating a technique that they learned off somebody else. But if they're good enough, they'll sit there and go, oh, well, I'm, I'm pinning the arm here because I want to remove his ability to turn away from me. And if I can hold the arm here, you can see the body can't turn. This is an example. But why is, is so much more important. I think Simon Predick wrote a really good book on that called The Why. Um, and it explains even in business, you know, why the why is so much more important than the how. There was a really good, um, uh, a really good quote as well, and it was using a different, you know, content like a different uh, wording to, to it. But it's basically saying that, you know, if you tell someone how to do something, then they can only do that one thing. But if you teach them why you're doing that, you know, the principles behind it, suddenly they can take those principles and they can change how they're doing it. So that's why I like to relate it to mathematics where technique training and drilling is like the um, memorization of the times tables, you know, which is okay at the start, you know, one times two is two, two times two is four, all that kind of stuff. But as you get higher and those, those equations become more complex and more complicated, suddenly you cannot use memory because 
you're in a completely new situation that you haven't been able to memorize. You can't memorize every single you know, mathematical equation out there. It'll just be impossible. You can't memorize every single technique. It'll be impossible. So what you're better off focusing on is the formula. You know, what am I really trying to achieve here? What do I need to watch out for here? What are the principles here? And then trying to tailor your technique. So whenever I'm in a position, I do this all the time. Let's say I'm in your guard and I'm thinking about passing. Well, the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at what position are we in exactly? What am I really dealing with? And then I'm also looking at how tall are you? How strong are you? How fit are you? And then I'm looking at, I'm trying to figure, okay, okay, now I've come up with some, some solutions. And that'll come pretty quickly. Okay, I've come up with some solutions, but then I'm thinking a little bit further ahead. I'm thinking, okay, what is he going to do here? Okay, I'm trying to think of what are you trying to do here? Because I want to make sure that I don't fall for any kind of traps. But then I want to go one step further and I got to think, what does he think I'm going to do here? Because if I can figure out what you think I'm going to do, and if I can figure out what you're going to do, I'm going to beat you every single time because I can just outplay you every single time. And this is something that most people don't even think about, but this is almost always going through my head. Every single position, every time it changes, the same thing goes through my head. I'm like, what does he expect me to do? And what do I think he's going to do? And after a while, because you're aware of it, you start figuring these things out. You start seeing common denominators of the way people react and the way people think. And once you can get in their head, it's just is so much easier because it's far more enjoyable. It's far more efficient because you're not trying to force things on. You're efficiently just tricking them and trapping them and, and confusing them. So it becomes effortless rather than when you are very predictable then they're trying to force you to stop doing what you're doing and you're just trying to make it happen and you're using energy and it's tough. And you know, some people like that. They like that grind game. They like to put in that effort. I'm like, the I want to develop mastery and mastery is efficiency. So where people get lost and they think being really good at jujitsu is having great technique. I don't agree with that. And, and it depends on the, um, the way someone is interpreting good technique. But the way I interpret it is having a very clean technique. You show a technique and you do it perfectly. Where I'm more like good technique is actually efficient, you know, efficient application or efficient solutions to the problem. If you use an efficient solution, that means it's energy efficient. It required no energy, which means I most likely trick them. And I just, you know, like a like a magician, I just got them to look right when I was attacking left. And if you look at any kind of wars, this is the way you would want to, you know, uh, Sun Tzu and stuff like that would always talk about that. You want your enemy to think you're attacking left when you're attacking right. You want your enemy to think you're more powerful when you're more vulnerable. And you're just basically trying to confuse them. Because if your enemy has the exact information of everything you're doing and what you're doing, then you're going to have a hard time. If you've got a much bigger army, and you're a brown belt and he's a white belt, then sure, you can get away with it. But as, the, as those belts get closer or you get more and more high level, these things become far more important because at a high level black belt, the world championships, you've probably, you've, you've been trained so long, you've almost seen everything. You know, there's going to be small variations and some little things that come out and stuff, but you've seen most things. So the more important thing is how can I deceive him? How can I confuse him? How can I get him to think I'm doing one thing when I'm really doing the other? And when you develop that, that's where you make really good people look really bad. And, uh, and it's really confusing to people. Yeah, no, it's spot on. I, I really agree with the why. I think, like, like you said, it's the processing of the movements. I mean, like you said, if you're just talking about the repetition times tables, you can learn that a week or seven times 20. 
But if someone asks you on a random, you don't know it's 140, you're going to be like, oh, okay. But like you said, if you understand why this is 140, then you, you understand. I think that's, that's great. I mean, I do see a lot more people like yourself taking that path. Like they don't, you see a lot more really good students winning at Purple and Brown Belt, yet they don't have these master coaches. They've got good friends around, but it's the academy, like some of the Pedigo guys, like they've, they've made a strong set in there. You know, they've never had the biggest leaders, but they've made a nice surrounding where it's tough guys who train. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's, the, that's the key is just figuring that kind of stuff out. Like, the humans were developed, like humans were whether designed or evolved. Their their main, our main objective is to procreate and to uh, survive. Okay, so if you think of learning, what what really is learning? Learning is just dealing with, it's just trying to survive. So what happens is uh, some big bald guy comes with a club and tries to hit you. Then your brain takes in a lot of information. Says I don't want to be in this situation again. Okay. So next time this big bald guy comes, you already know, Oh shit, stay away from this dude. Or, you know, it's danger. It could be berries. It could be anything, whatever happens. Like that's what, that's the whole point of learning is to keep you, you know, to survive. So the key is with anything, it's finding that fine line of problems that you can solve that are still, uh, stressful enough that it requires you to think and work hard, but not too stressful that you collapse and just get mental fatigue and not too easy that you're unchallenged. It's the same thing with developing muscle. It's the same thing with developing anything. You've got to find this fine line of, okay, what are, as a beginner, what are the problems that I need to be able to, you know, give this student that was going to allow him to solve, you know, in a, in a safe environment where he's not going to be, um, it's not going to be too easy. It's not going to be too hard. It's going to be just right that he can figure it out, but it requires some thinking. And then it just, that, that gets more and more advanced. It's the same as weights. When you first go to the gym, if I went to the gym and I haven't done weights before and I, I get on a bench press and someone drops a 300 pound uh, barbell on me and I try and do it, what's going to happen? I'm most likely going to tear my chest open. I'm going to drop that barbell on my chest and then I'm not going to be able to train for another three or four weeks minimum because I hurt myself. And if I do it too light, then I'm going to be unchallenged. My muscles are not going to be uh, tested. So they're not going to have to deal, you know, not going to have to need to regenerate stronger to, to deal with that. So what I'm always trying to find with whatever I'm learning is what is that, that fine line or whoever I'm teaching, what is that fine line that allows them uh, enough stress to develop, but not too much and not too little, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I can't remember why I got on that. But. Uh, yeah, never mind. But, um, I've got an argument to make. Well, yeah. you're a big fan of concepts. I think we are like that. And I agree with that. But don't you think there are some particular points where drilling can be helpful too? I mean, concepts can for sure make, take you from 0 to 80 out of 100, let's say. But um, I'll take a basic example. Um, attacking the base, which is Danahir's favorite concept. And he mentions that all the time in order to submit or strip your opponent from God. You may tell that to a beginner that in order to sweep or submit, he needs to attack the base and the balance. But if he doesn't come across some basic off balances from several positions, I mean, he won't be as efficient, right? Well, true. So here's the thing. This is where it gets really complicated and hard to understand. So I'm going to do my best to articulate it. If you want to get good at techniques, then drilling is by far the best way. There's no denying that. 
The thing is, you don't need to get good at techniques. And I'm, I'm the perfect example of that. Someone that doesn't do it, that still developed faster than almost anybody else because I didn't do it. But it's, there's, there's a few other things in there. So we know scientifically, you don't need a drill. There's evidence that people that don't have a drill, Shanji, uh, I remember Shanji and Salah Hibiero said it to me. They're like, Kit, man, me and Shanji never drill nothing. You know, we're the same. Uh, Hodges said the same thing. Yeah. There's so many examples of that. But it doesn't mean that you can't be drilling and still get very good. But you're going to go down two different paths. What I'm trying to tell people to do is not become someone that has accumulated techniques. I want them to become very good problem solvers. But this doesn't mean that techniques don't have a, a play a part to play in learning because I think they do. But I look at techniques more as examples. Here's some examples, okay? But what I want you to focus on doing is figuring out what is the best solution for your problem. It may not be exactly the same and most likely it's never going to be exactly the same. So here are some examples that somebody else came up with. But now I want you to figure out how to do it yourself. But when I'm teaching these examples, I want to show them why these examples work. Why that's what I want them to focus on, not how to do it. Now, if they're a beginner student and I and they have no idea about anything, okay, like you were saying about sweeping, if I teach them breaking the base, they're gonna have a really hard time doing it to anybody. Right? I mean that's why you would teach them the technique. Because then they got that technique. It's like they can try and force that technique on and get it to work, which they most likely will have success with. But the problem is, and what I've noticed is it's cheating a little bit. And that cheating has karma that's going to end up hurting them more in the long run. Because what happens when the student and you teach them a technique and it works, what happens? They get a dopamine hit. They get excited. They feel good. Okay. They're motivated. So what do they want? They want more techniques. Okay, cool. This worked. Okay, give me some more. Give me some. And then suddenly they fall in this habit of being taught what to do instead of figuring it out themselves. Now, what I would do with a new student, I've done this many times, is I want them to develop an understanding fundamentally of the positions before I worry about any techniques. Okay, so I imagine, imagine it's riding a bike. And a lot of the, and some of these techniques are like, you know, doing jumps on the bike doing i don't know i don't even fucking ride bikes anymore so it's a hard one uh doing a backflip on the bike doing uh some kind of uh, endo on the bike but half these guys don't even know how to pedal or brake or turn or steer on the bike yeah. <laughs> so what i want them to do and this is what i'll do with student, new brand new students they come in and they go okay i want to learn jiu-jitsu and uh, this, they can be brand new they can be trained for six months or whatnot doesn't matter and I'll go, okay, first thing I explain what jiu-jitsu really is. Okay, this is what jiu-jitsu is. And as it's, it's hard to explain what jiu-jitsu is really. I think John Dano probably would do, do a lot better with that because he's a lot better with words than what I am. But I try and explain them what the goal of jiu-jitsu is. And then I'll take them into a position. And I go, okay, let's, we're going to play with my guard, okay? And all I want you to do is pass guard, okay? This is the guard. Now, passing would uh, entail you landing in mount or side control or north-south or even get my back. That's fine. And I want you to try and do that. I'm going to try and stop you. And straight away, you'll see them nervous, nervous and like, oh, I don't really know what to do. And I said, listen, I know you don't know what to do. And that's fine. Okay. I don't expect you to have any idea. I want you to try and figure out. Okay. And I'm going to go light with you. I just want you to try and get to these positions. So at first you see them tentative and they don't know what they're doing. 
But then suddenly they just keep getting a little bit more, more excited. And then suddenly they throw your legs out of the way and almost pass. And then you recover and you see their eyes light up like, oh, this works. And they start getting more and more confident. And then they start playing and they, forget, they get out of their own heads. And they're just in the moment. And they're having fun like kids. And they're just trying to pass. And they're not worried about what if and all this kind of stuff. Because there is no consequences. You know, there's no, it doesn't matter. I tell them, you're going to get swept against the It doesn't even matter. I want you to make as many mistakes as you can. So we've got some stuff we can learn from. And after 20 minutes, and I've had this with people that have trained for a year or six months. They've said, Kit, I learned more in that 30 minutes than I have in the last six months. And I, I don't take it because they're not really saying, Kit, you taught me more than, you know, in, in 30 minutes than I did in six months, because that's impossible. What they're saying is I figured out more stuff in that little 30 minute exercise than what I have in the last six, min- uh, six months, because I'm creating an environment for them to start thinking for themselves. If they're brand new beginners, same sort of thing. They, they leave so excited, they get a workout and they're pumped because they have an objective and they've been allowed to try and figure that out themselves. And one big key of happiness, and I've read a few books on this, and I, I can't remember what the books were, but Carolina might hear and tell me. Um, but he said, especially with men, it's in their key to solve problems. And a lot of unhappiness is in their inability to solve problems. And, and we kind of have this everyday life where we're like, okay, if we're having situations that we need to solve and we can't do it, it's going to give us a sense of unhappiness. But when we have these problems and we keep just, solving them and solving them and solving them. and then the problems will always keep coming there's no there's no stopping them but we feel good about ourselves so when you create these kind of environments it already encourages the students to start thinking for themselves straight away and start figuring things out and it's fun and it's safe and then i'll just change position next. Okay, okay now i'm going to do passing and you're going to do guard and we what we do is we build a foundation for them okay a foundation of feeling and understanding and this is just like riding the bike. They're just learning how to pedal. They're learning how to balance. And then as they get better with that, and they know how to control someone, they can get someone inside control. They know how to hold them there. They know how to escape there. Then, then I don't mind working more techniques into it, giving them opportunities and ideas and uh, inspiration for them to figure things out. But by then, they don't even want to see the techniques. They're so happy figuring things out that they just want to under, like little tips and little ideas. So I try and and I, I relate this to people that need to learn techniques in certain positions. I say the problem is, and if you need to learn a technique and you need to drill it, it's because you have too little understanding of that position. And what I mean by this, I remember being in Abu Dhabi and Andre Galval showed me a technique and he's like, and it was a good technique. He's like, okay, practice it. I was like, no, that's no, all good. And he's like, practice it. I said, like, no, I don't need to. And he's so confused by it because the, like, there was Leandro Lowe do, trying to do it and he had to practice it. I knew straight away I could go into a competition and do it. The only reason I knew this because I know so, I have so much information about that area that as soon as I saw him do it in my head, I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I see what he's doing there. Cool. I'll do that. But it's only because I trained that way. So what I want people to understand is the most important dictator of whether you internalize information or you learn is not whether you learn it physically, kinesthetically, digitally. You know, It's not whether you learn by looking or hearing or doing it's how you associate with that information now if you don't have any kind of association with that information like i was saying about snowboarding earlier then those lessons are going to go through one ear and out the other so as a coach you need to find very good uh, analogies to to teach people or you create an environment that allows them to develop an association with the techniques 
So there was a really good um, memory. I don't even know what you call a memory scientist or whatever it is, uh, a psychologist. And he was talking about the way the declarative memory works. Okay. You've got uh, declarative memory. You've got procedural memory. Procedural memory is muscle memory. Okay. That's, you know, running, jumping, all that kind of stuff. It's muscle memory. That's what you're trying to develop when you're drilling. Declarative memory is when someone, when you figure things out and you start obtaining information, when you're asking the why, when someone asks you a question and you can relay information, you can declare that information, that's declarative uh, information. Like if I asked you right now, what's your phone number? And you said uh, your phone number. But if you had to sit there and dial your number, that's procedural. Okay. So declarative information works like a scaffolding system. You both know what scaffolding is? Okay. So when you're learning a new area, Okay, let's say you're practicing something like, let's say I, I take you guys out and we start playing tennis and you've never played tennis. You're, you've probably got no scaffolding, okay? So when you're learning new information, that new information shooting, it's got nothing to stick to. It just goes and past, and past. What you want to start doing is developing a little scaffolding, a little bit of association, a little bit of experience. Then when I give you lessons to your experience level, they stick and it grows and it grows. And the bigger your scaffolding and the more understanding you have of that area, the easier it is to learn new things. So when it comes to someone that's playing, you guys might have areas in life where you've developed this, where you have so much information and so much understanding of something. When someone teaches you something, it's ah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to understand. But if you don't have any kind of uh, association with that, it's going to be like nothing. So the whole idea of getting these students to play with areas like that is I'm trying to get them to develop scaffolding so that when they are learning things, it just sticks. It sticks it's so much easier rather than if you'd had them with no scaffolding, the only way to get them to achieve something is get them drilling techniques and practicing techniques. Okay. But that's like trying to learn mathematics and looking at the back of the book for the answer every single time. That's fine when you have time and you have someone to teach you, but when you're in test day, and you don't have those answers anymore and you didn't learn how the formula, how to figure these equations out, you're in trouble. And that's where a lot of people get in trouble. And I see it in competition as well. I see it in different things. You get a grip on somebody that they've never seen before and they sit there and they're like, and they look at their coach, like, what the fuck is going on? How do I stop this? You know, and you want to eliminate anyone having those problems. So the best thing you can do is get them to become really good problem solvers give them the formulas, the concepts, the principles that you understand so that they've got some kind of uh, direction, but just allowing them to figure things out themselves. That's uh, such an important thing. And we do it in every single area, but for some reason, jujitsu, we used the industrial age model that was developed in like the sixties to create factory workers. And we're using it in jujitsu. And it's just very unscientific. All the case studies that they've done, which not many people hear about, have all pointed in the opposite direction, you know, that you need to play with things. You need to vary things. You don't want to, even like with basketball, they did this test where they had two groups of equally skilled basketballers. One group was shooting free throws from just the, the, the three-point area, the free throw area. The other group was shooting them randomly all over the place. At the end, they all tested them from the free throw area, okay? And I think the people that just practiced from the free throw got a little bit of a better score. It might have even been less. I can't even remember, but I can find it. But then they tested them a week later and the group that was shooting randomly had 60% better results than the group that was just shooting in the one area. And they did this in like whole heap of different things. And they were confused. They're like, okay, one group is practicing for the exact test. The other group is doing it randomly. How come the other group retained so much more information? 
and they they figured out that something happens in your brain okay when you're shooting a free throw the first thing you do is you get the ball you feel the ball is it heavy you know is it is it pumped up enough how far away am i from the ring is there wind okay okay i'm gonna come up with a solution i'm going to execute it did i get it maybe it was a little bit too short okay i'm gonna do the exact same thing next time i'm gonna just put a little bit more energy into it and then it goes in and then all you're trying to do is repeat the exact same thing you're not thinking anymore you're just trying to repeat the other group every single time they have to take in their environment how far away are they what angle are they on is there wind how heavy is the ball shoot you know they, they come up with a solution execute evaluate their success move on come up with a solution execute evaluate your success and move on and they keep doing this so they keep developing developing intellectually while the first group was just a little bit intellectual and then a completely physical so another reason why it's so much more important to to train like this where you're consistently using your own ability to figure things out is because your information will retain far longer and you'll be able to retain far more information than if you were just learning through practicing you know, techniques. There's heaps of reasons. There's a lot of theories on that as well, but uh, all of these things really play a big part. I think it makes complete sense what you're saying. It is all about yeah. the experience. I mean, you can tell someone that fire is hot but until they touch a stove or they know it's hot then they'll know themselves right because they know they get burned you can tell them you're going to get burned but then they're probably still going to do it anyway until they know this is not what i do yeah and i think that's where a lot of parents go wrong where they try and helicopter parent their, their kids don't let them doing anything don't let them do anything you know because they want to protect them mm. but then they leave the kids really vulnerable because the kids have never figured these things out they don't know what's bad and what's good and you know they just haven't got that experience yeah. you are uh, there's a fine line with everything you want to expose your kids to harmful things, not things that are going to hurt them too much, but things that they're going to learn from at least the yeah. strength a little bit. You know, obviously there's a, a fine line of where you want to have that. <coughs> but it, it, it's, it's, uh, it goes through all areas of life. And that's why learning jujitsu is kind of fun because when you figure these kind of things out, you realize a lot of it is the psychology, it's biology, it's anthropology. It's just understanding humans. And why we do what we do. Definitely. Um, Kit, something I really wanted to ask you. It's a bit irrelevant to what we're talking up to now. Man, you Australians are like... Every Australian who is like a personality in Jiu-Jitsu is just fucking hilarious. I mean, what is that? You, Craig Jones... I mean, Lachlan, Lachlan might be the less funny guy, but still is funny. I mean, you can't say he's not funny. The other guy, the bluebird that talks shit on the internet, Varun Mehotra, I mean, have you ever seen him? What's he, Varun Mehotra, short, thick boy, the username is. Maybe I've seen him. It doesn't ring a bell right now. Man, he was the first guy that actually managed to talk shit to Gordon Ryan and he won an, argue, an argument against him, which Where, was... Where's he from? Australia? Yeah, yeah, he's from Sydney. Really? I wonder who that is. Yeah. I um, think, like, I think, honestly, with the Australians are like that is because we have a very different culture. In, in Australia, we're always trying to... Uh, well, there's two reasons, I think. One is we're always trying to what we call bag or take the piss out of each other. We're always trying to embarrass each other. So you get very quick, very quickly, you get tough skin and you try and get become a lot 
you know, more wittier. Okay. You're trying to become a lot quicker thinker because you want to get one up. I, I would go to, when I was first going bald, I would go to like family functions. My older cousins were there and they were real cool and shit and funny. And, and they were, uh, they would sit there and they'd see me come and they would just say all this shit and I could hear it. And like, they'd be, Oh, thinners is coming or here comes Bruce Willis and shit. Like just trying to back. So I was like, you got to constantly like, okay, okay. And then try and give it back to them. So I feel like uh, a lot of, the comedy is from the culture in Australia where most people have that. Uh, the other thing is, and I think this works in a jiu-jitsu a little bit is a lot of the jiu-jitsu guys like this is because I think a lot of jiu-jitsu guys are nerds. Okay. Guys that probably were getting beaten up by jocks and stuff and wanted to, you know, to learn how to defend themselves. This, this isn't everyone, but I feel like a lot of people got into jiu-jitsu because of that. Usually when you are like that, you're not really a force back in high school. You're not really like a dominant bully or anything. You're probably the opposite. And when you're like me, and I, mean, I look big now, but when I, was, when I was younger, I was very, I was like two years probably premature for the age that I was. I was, you know, 16, but I really looked 14. Uh, and I was very skinny and, and scared and didn't know how to fight. So if the bullies were, uh, you know, directing their attention to me, I had to try and figure out ways of steering that away, you know, with my mouth. I had to be funny. I had to be smooth. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. because I can't fight them. I'm going to lose this fight. So I've got to figure out ways of how can I, how can I use my mouth to try and make me not a target for these guys? So you, you quickly learn like, okay, I need to be really quick witted. I need to be fast with my mouth because uh, otherwise I'm going to get beaten up a lot. So I feel like uh, both play into part why probably the people in Australia come in. Lachlan's funny, but he's more funny to look at. He just does weird shit. Yeah. He's super awkward. Like he's one of the most awkward people I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he's like... yeah, yeah. He's, he's hilarious. But he's such a, he's like one of the nicest people in the world. I remember he was a brown belt when I was, a, when I first started jiu-jitsu, I was a white belt. My first ever little tournament and he was there. And I remember because I was training with someone else and that, he was a really good brown belt. And they said, this other guy's really good brown belt. And it was Lachlan. So he was a brown belt when I was first white belt. We started training together when I got to about purple belt. He contacted me and said, hey, we should train. And we you know, trained on and off for, for a long time. But he's a really good guy. He definitely had different philosophies for me training. But I see that he's definitely gone a lot more my way than what he used to. He was just all drilling. And that you never even heard him say concept until a couple of years ago. And then he started talking about it. That's the same as most people, though. They're starting to you know, evolve on, but he's a, he's a really good, really good guy. And I think he's a very good technical student uh, and teacher because he, he tries to figure a lot of stuff out and he probably puts more time into technical aspects than what I do by far. I'm more conceptual and more playful, but, but it's great. He, he's a, he's a really good guy. And Craig is just fucking Craig's just a beast. He's so good. He's like, I feel like he's the closest thing to what I was training with. Uh, there was two people, him and a, a wrestler named Talbot, but where they just, he just figured things out himself. He was just, every time I go to training, he was there early. He was there playing with an area and he'd always go, Kit, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? He was always experimenting and figuring things out and he would just try and do shit. And, you know, he got really good eventually. Craig was, uh, you know, Craig was his own beast. He was the exact what I'm talking about. Like, where it doesn't matter where he's training, he's going to be really good because he's figuring things out himself. Yeah, uh, yeah he's just, he's a beast. Levi as well. Levi's great. I, I trained Levi a few times. He come and, he come and stay with me for uh, when I was teaching back as a brown belt or maybe I was a black belt then. And he's great. You know, he's been going off training and just doing his own thing. He's, uh, he's another little beast. There'll be a lot more coming through. It's like the four minute mile, you know? 
no one thought it's possible until someone does it. And then everyone's like, okay, now that gives them the confidence. I feel like we kind of, there's a lot of countries that felt like that. I think Australia was like that. We felt like we had no one that was, you know, good enough because no one did it. And then uh, without pumping my tires up, once I started, you know, representing at that level, especially as quick as I did, a lot of other people like, fuck, that bald head dude can do it. I can do it as well. And then, you know, same thing in Norway with Tommy and that. And you'll see this everywhere. Now people know, okay, this can happen. So Sebastian Broch in Sweden. And I think he's now in Norway as well. But there's a lot of good guys that are coming out. There's good guys in Norway when I was there. There's good guys in Denmark. And they only have small schools, you know, but they're, they're figuring things out themselves. You don't yeah. need to have the best coach and all that kind of stuff. You just need to be inquisitive and have, you know, discipline and motivation, really. Nice. But, bro, I really admire the fact that, back to the Australian topic, I really admire the fact that you're taking the piss and you don't get offended. That's, I find too. that really cool. I mean, Look, pe- people in Cyprus, yeah, sometimes, but people in Cyprus, you talk a bit shit to them and they're like, oh, what, do you want to fight now? I'm like, yeah. bro. I'm- yeah, it's, it's hard. I, I have to figure out who I can talk to like that as well. I've got some friends. i got some, you know, some heavy Uzbekistan and Russian friends that I've said certain jokes to, like homophobic jokes. And they're like, brother, we do not joke like this. We kill you. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you told me. I don't mean any, I don't mean any offense, but I don't want to like, you know, upset people. I try and figure out who can do that. But at the same time, I like ruffling feathers. And I think that, well, if you can't take a joke, you know, I'm going to help you learn how to take it because I'm just going to keep going until you stop caring. That's, that's the thing with the jokes, right? A lot of people take it too personally, whereas they, 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 they misinterpret the context of the joke, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, people identify as things too often. And this is why it's very easy to, to insult groups straight away. It could be a religious group, let's say a Christian group, and you start bagging Christianity. Most people will identify as a Christian instead of as a human being that, you know, is studying christianity or something like that and i think when people kind of pull themselves back and then kind of realize even if someone's back like if someone says something about australians i might have a tiny little thing it's like oh no 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 like i want to fight that or it's like no it's, he's not talking about me you know he's talking about whatever he's talking about it's not me i'm not even uh, what you would call a typical australian anymore i don't even feel like an australian i feel like just my own person and i think most australians would feel the same way and and like anything else but I do like the Australian attitude like that because it's more fun. And, you know, people that the people that I like the most, I probably bag the most. I take the piss out of the most. They're the ones that I like the most. If I'm not taking the piss out of you, I probably I might not know you very well or I probably don't like you. Um, you know, I think the English are great like that as well. Like the English take the piss out of everyone as well. And I think it's cool. I've always enjoyed that. But definitely depending on what country I'm in, will tailor the way I teach a seminar. You know, if I go to England, I can fucking have a lot of fun and bag people and make fun of people right there. And they love it. You know, they love seeing their friends get, you know, the piss taken out of them. But, uh, you know, I've taught in Croatia or something like that. And I could say a joke and they're all just like, not even looking. I'm just like, okay, no more jokes. Let's go. <laughs> just straight up. They're really nice guys. But like, one, they might not understand the humor, especially because mine's dry a lot of the time. And I just sort of throw things in that to see people pick them up. But, um, you know, I definitely try and tailor it depending on, on where I am. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kid, I know you. I know, we know you fought um, ADCC, World Pro, IBJJF Worlds. Um, this is something I ask almost each one of our guests. Who was your toughest fight to date? Uh, oh shit! My toughest. 
And one of the, I mean, I've had so many tough matches, but one of the toughest is probably me and DJ Jackson, Nogi at Purple Belt Abu Dhabi Pro Finals. Uh, that was really tough just because at the level we were so close. Uh, and I, I, you know, I was exhausted by the end of that match. And he won that by, I think he got a guard pass or something at the end, which I honestly feel like I got robbed. And I was saying to him, sorry, I think I won that. I think they cheated me. But regardless, uh, that was a really tough match. And then I think the, the week later, we had a, another match in Guy. And I beat him. Uh, I beat Philippe Penner. Uh, there was a lot of good. Uh, Tinoco all in the same year. There was a lot of really good fights. I think uh, the Tinoco match, the Brazilian national finals at Purple Belt was really tough. Uh, I won that two to four, I think, or four to zero. But that was a really tough match. Marcus Tanaka, he's you know multiple-time black belt world champion. That was really tough. But they're always subjective to the, the level I was at and the level they were at at the time. Um, Josh Hingo was a very tough match at Worlds. But you know, a lot of them I take in a certain things. Like certain times I'm not very fit. Certain times I'm injured. So it's not the same. But those were ones where I could put a little bit more effort into it. Uh, you know, I fought Rodolfo Vieira, but I was injured at the time, so I didn't even really put much effort into it. There's not much I could do. I had a fucked up elbow and shoulder. Uh, so I wouldn't say it was my toughest match. doesn't mean that he wasn't the best. Uh, I think he was the best opponent that I probably fought. I think, I don't know if he's probably not at the time because I feel like he's completely out of his prime and he's not really that interested in jiu-jitsu. But at that time, you know, he's probably, you know, in his prime, he was as good as anyone. Yeah. What? what so it so, says... It's on the same theme, but what would you say was the fight that you felt you gained the most from? Like where you thought, do you know what? This is the guy I fought and I can do it against him. I can do this against anyone or maybe I need to change things. Well, there was a guy, uh, he was, uh, I think he was a black belt world champion, and brown belt world champion, Bruno Elvis. And when I was a brown belt, he destroyed me for so long. Like he was like, we trained together because we were, we were sponsored by the same area, uh, same, same, um, Gee company and then i fought him when i first got my black belt and i beat him 10 mil in gi and then i beat him 10 mil in no gi and i was like he was as good as anyone at the time like you know might not you know, his levels you know the top top but he was really good you know uh and he won the i think the masters black belt world the same year a year later but at that time i was just like yeah i know mentally if i'm confident i'll beat anybody but, you know, when you go against someone like Otavio Souza or something like that, and he's a black belt, five-time black belt world champion, or Claudio Calasans, and, you know, you're just a brand-new champion, it's very easy for you just to go very light and not have the confidence and see where you're at rather than just having that belief in yourself and just destroying him. I think I would have done a lot better in my competition days when I was really motivated if I had the confidence that I did uh, in terms of my ability to learn as a, my ability to compete. Like there's so many times, like I want to roll with someone a couple of times and get a feeling before I feel comfortable enough to go really hard. And even in competition, I'll do the same thing where I'm not going super hard. I'm kind of testing the waters and you do that for five minutes and you can make a little mistake and get beaten so often. It happened with Gary Tonin and Metamora. So I was just warming up, just feeling things. And I got caught in a guillotine before I'd even done enough to even break into a sweat. You know, and that was disappointing to me because so many people saw that and so many people judged me from that. I honestly think I was better than him at the time. And I honestly think I should have won that. But you make a little mistake and that's what happens. So I think that was my biggest problem with, with comp competing myself was I was very much trying to feel things out and I was too respectful and kind to people. Uh, if I had a mentality, it was like, 
you know, F this dude, I'm just going to smash him. I probably would have won a lot more, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not, it doesn't interest me like it used to. Like that used to be like when I first turned black belt for a year, I was really motivated. And then since then I didn't really care. It was more like I'll compete because I find it enjoyable, but I'm not going to put in the effort that these guys are doing. I'm not going to use steroids. I'm not going to use any kind of drugs to enhance anything. I'm more about like healthy living and stuff like that, enjoying what I'm doing than I am about destroying my own body to win this gold medal. That's really not going to change much in my life. So my motivation changed from that to film and acting and learning different things and enjoying, you know, I love learning different stuff and uh, enjoying my life. And, you know, where a lot of these guys is jujitsu is all that matters to them. They're training three times a day. They're doing everything they can, every supplement they can get their hands on to, to win, to give themselves the edge. Cause that's all that that's, that means the world to them. For me, I'm training like three times a month and trying to compete against these guys. And it's hard, you know, it's physically it's hard, but I still do very well. I still like, if I lose, it's like by an advantage to guys that are professionally training and stuff. So I think it, the only disappointing thing in my eyes is, is like, I wish I was motivated a little bit because I would like to go out there and just beat them all. Just my, you know, just that, but it really means not enough to me to, to do that, to make that effort. Plus I've been traveling for years and stuff like that. It's very hard when you're consistently traveling and I've had a lot of fucking injuries. I've had a very unlucky run of injuries. So there's a few variables. What'd you say the injuries come down to? Me being an idiot when I was like a blue belt and white belt, not tapping ego. I think a lot of it was the stuff that like someone put me in an armbar and I'm trying to escape a little too long. And then suddenly something pops and it doesn't, you don't really notice until later on. But I mean, these things happen for me. Like I was shaking a little bottle of paint. I was painting miniatures and I'm shaking a bottle of paint and something clicked in my elbow for a year and a half. My elbow like wouldn't straighten, wouldn't bend. It still doesn't bend any more than this or straighten, but it would get so swollen if I did anything with it. And my shoulder, I tore my shoulder playing around at the end of training one time, just messing around uh, so just, and I had an ACL reconstruction from playing football. So I had a couple unlucky things, you know, it was just, it's just unlucky. And there's a couple of things that probably when I first started that I probably should have had less ego and tap to, and, uh, I probably would have had my body in a better position, but I'm also like, I know a lot of guys that are injured as well. They're just doing a lot of supplements, a lot of things to help them. And I just don't have that, you know, that, that I just, I can't cheat. I honestly can't cheat. I would just do my head in and that's one thing that I don't understand with these guys. And I think it's a mentality thing for me. If you're doing steroids, you're, doing anything, you're cheating. Just, they care what you want. You've cheated. You don't deserve it. But to them, they, they think, Oh, everyone's doing it. So it's fine. And it's not cheating. It's just, you know, just whatever it is. But for me, it doesn't work. It doesn't sit well in my head. Do, do you think the level of jujitsu would be lower than without what they've been doing currently? Say if we went back five years, right. And no one had used steroids. Would you yeah, see it? Yeah, people wouldn't be able to train as much. I mean, there would just be guys that wouldn't be able to do what they're doing physically. And I know I've trained with guys that are on and off and they cycle on steroids and not. And I can tell the difference clear as day. And I'm never going to name any names. But I've trained with them and they're like, I've had people get, like, tell me, like, I, remember I had this guy in armbar one time and I've armbarred him heaps of times. He was holding onto his fingers like this and I couldn't separate it for the life of me. I'm thinking, why the hell couldn't I separate that? And then after training, he comes up, he's like, did I feel a little bit like, you know, different today? And I, felt, and I was thinking in my head, like, fuck, you felt strong. He's like, and he's like, oh, yeah, I had a bit of weed before this. But then he told me, like, a week later, he's like, no, it wasn't weed. I actually I was doing a cycle of um, steroids. And I was like, dude, 
fuck me. Yes, I could feel the difference, bro. And like I could tell, like he didn't even need to tell me. I could tell when he was on it and when he wasn't. And there's just a huge difference. You see the same thing with Vito Belfort and all those guys. It makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And like I, one part of me gets it. Like I think Gordon said it a few times where he's like, well, you know, everyone else is on it. Everyone's doing it, you know. Okay, well, I get that they're like, well, I'm going to use it because I know they're using it. I just wish they all had the integrity to say, okay, let's just not. Let's just yeah. make it. Let's, let's fucking, let's all pay fucking $200, get our blood test before the thing and just show each other that we're not doing it. But that's a, uh, that's me yeah. wanting a. Uh, well, that's, that's a big problem with our sport at the moment, isn't it? Because no one will take us seriously. I mean, if they think we want to get jujitsu to the Olympics, how? If you're all on steroids, they're not going to let you in anyway. Yeah, because you you see the scrutiny someone would get in the Olympics when they cheat. They even do blood doping or anything. Oh yeah, steroids is way worse, man. You know, and then uh, no one even cares. I uh, I fought Parliament two times in a year. Philippe Penner, they got pinged both years that I fought him, but no one cares. You know, but if that were like you said, if that was like uh, uh, Lance Armstrong when he got pinned, you know, everyone wanted to rip everything from him. You know, it's it's different. Yeah, I wish they had sure. that mentality, but they don't. Do you, do you think jiu-jitsu will ever get to the next level or do you think because of stuff like this we're going to be we're gonna uh, have like- no i think it'll go i think it'll keep growing i think people like mojo sim and stuff are doing so much work for jiu-jitsu that it's really helping in terms of creating great events and giving uh, athletes opportunity to actually make good money out of out of jiu-jitsu so i think that a lot more people are going to be motivated to really put the effort in now um and they're getting more exposure so it's going to breed you know, more motivation for people to, to do well, I think. So I, I think people like him are really helping the sport and I think it's going to continue to grow because of that. Yeah. Um, now that you've mentioned Mojo Sim, uh, I talk with him sometimes on Instagram and he would always say good words about you and the way you approach jiu-jitsu. But are you interested for ADCC 2022? It really depends, man. <laughs> Look, if, you, if there was like a big role and like I was uh, shortlisted for the Mortal Kombat movie to play Kano, I didn't get it. You know, the guy got it and it's coming out this year. If like if it was... You're an actor as well, right? Yes. If it was between a good role in acting and ADCC, it'd be 10% ADCC, 90% acting. So I would like to... It'd be nice to get some good training on. And if I can get some good training, I'll feel very good and I want to do it. But if an opportunity for acting comes up, then I'm going to take that, uh, you know, without even thinking. It wouldn't. I wouldn't even care about missing ADCC to to play a role in a movie. Uh, so, if it does come up, and if I'm free at the time, and if I'm getting good training and not injured, I'm going to go and then I'm going to win it. I don't care. I'll win it. <laughs> if not, then uh, so be it. But it's not something that sits in my head that I, I feel like I have to do it. Okay. Fair. Did you know that Jiu-Jitsu movie was filmed in Cyprus? I watched it. Have you seen it? Um, no, no. I really want to, but I'm not sure. If I've read some terrible reviews. But Look. How uh, come did you... Were you not in it? Why wasn't I in it? Yeah. I don't, I don't think... I think this is something that frustrates me a lot, to be honest with you, because I know I can act. I'm a good actor. I, I'm good at martial arts. And I see these things and I think to myself, like, why am I not get casted in this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. But a lot of when you're getting casted, it's a lot of who you know. 
Have you got friends in the industry who you know and how much money you can bring them? And right now I feel like it's a frustrating area where I'm in, where I feel like I'm one of the, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good kept secret where I've got all the potential to do it, but I'm not getting any auditions. So I can't show it, which is frustrating. Uh, so yeah, there is a part of frustration for me, but I just, I understand that's the game here. Like you've got to stay here. You've got to meet people. You've got to start building up a name and create connections. And then they'll put you in stuff like that. I'm glad I'm not in that movie because it was a terrible, terrible movie. I think Nicolas Cage and Frank Grillo were great because they're fantastic actors. Uh, I think everyone else were action actors that were put into acting roles and it's very hard. Uh, the, the main lead in it is a great action actor. I think he was a double for um, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. But he doesn't have the experience to hold, uh, you know, to to lead a movie. You know, you you need to practice your acting. You need to work on your acting. And unfortunately, he's just not at that level. So he's getting opportunities, and I'm not sure why. Um, but it was, his performance was very flat, and a lot of the other actors were very flat. There was almost no jujitsu in it. The plot was terrible. The writing was terrible. Uh, the CGI was terrible. It was a really bad movie, unfortunately. And I, I, I don't like ever talking badly about stuff, but I got to be honest, like it was a terrible, terrible movie and not even a terrible in a fun way. You know, there's some other movies that are like, this is terrible. This is hilarious. There was nothing funny about it. It was just, I was watching it and just, it was really hard to watch, but I watched it because my friends are in it and you know, Hegan was in it and stuff, but it's just... Yeah. I think it would be very hard for them to do jujitsu justice in a film. I mean, not as it's like a documentary, but and then you've and then if you do that, you've got a limited audience anyway. So that's why they probably chucked in aliens and all this stuff as well. Just to... I, think, uh, I was training with um, uh, eighty seven eleven that do direct. You know, Chad Stuelski runs that and he directs uh, John Wick and stuff like that. And he's fantastic. Those boys there are fantastic. I've trained with them, bro. They train harder than professional fighters. I've gone there and trained with them. It's like I left. I'm like, dude, these guys bash the shit out of me. Uh, but they know what they're doing, bro. They, like Chad was talking, like they would train jiu-jitsu with knives. They would train jiu-jitsu with tasers, with guns, just to see what it's like and to try and figure out, you know, ways of making it more exciting for, for people. Because jiu-jitsu on jiu-jitsu, it's like, it's not fun at all. But when it's jiu-jitsu, if someone's got a knife or a gun or something like that, suddenly there's like, you know, something you could associate with. It's more interesting. So I think they've done the best um, at doing that. I know uh, another buddy, Steve Brown, who's a Division One All-American wrestler. He's working on Avatar at the moment, and he's doing a lot of that kind of stuff. So there are guys that are really bringing it forward and going to make some great fight scenes. The Marvel fight scenes have improved so much as well. I think they're on the right path. But you've got to understand there's – the same way you don't want an actor that doesn't know how to do fight scenes doing fight scenes. You don't want a, a, an action actor that knows how to do fight scenes doing acting scenes. It just, it just ruins it. And this is what they happen in jujitsu other than Frank Grillo and Nicolas Cage was you had action actors that are great with what they do, trying to do acting roles. And it's just, it's just, it's just flat. Yeah. This is not interesting. And it's just very hard to watch, but you would find the same if, uh, you know, if Keanu Reeves does John Wick for the next 10 years, in 10 years' time, watching him do takedowns and jiu-jitsu, you're going to be like, oh, I probably just could have got a stunt guy in for that. I, you know, he's doing pretty cool. But an example of someone that's not is in the movie The Irishman uh, with um, – what's his fucking name? One of the best actors in the world. Who's the lead? Robert De Niro? Robert De Niro, yeah, yeah De Niro. Oh, There's a couple of scenes where he had to beat people up, and it was him doing it. 
And you, you can just see it's like a 60, 60, 70 year old man doing it. And it's like, ah, oh, man, they could have just got some other dude to make it look a little bit because he's acting like he's in his 40s. And yeah. like he could have got some young guy to do that, but it just looks terrible. There's one scene where he throws someone out of the front. I think one of the shop guys says something to his daughter and then he throws him out of the shop and like comes and stomps on him a little bit. But he's stomping on him with like one hand limp like this. And it just looks like an old man trying to do that. And I was like, oh, I wish they just got someone else to do that. Yeah, it was a shame because I actually thought it was a really, really, really good movie, but there was just certain things like that where, like, get a fucking action actor and him to do that, and he'll do amazing. One of my buddies, Christopher Troy, in LA, he does that shit all the time. He looks fucking phenomenal, like amazing. But yeah, kids was was Jujitsu Sharknado, but was it that bad? I haven't watched Sharknado, but I would say it's worse. Man, <laughs> <laughs> it was like. I just wanted to watch a bit of it because it, it looked terrible. The, the story, it's like a tornado full of sharks and they eat people. Don't even bother watching. It's just stupid. Yeah. It's like you you know what you're getting into when you see that. You're like, okay, shark note, it's in the name. This is going to be wild. I want to see what the fuck they've done with a movie yeah. that's based around this. So it's more, it's kind of a little bit interesting. You're like, okay, this is like, it's like someone challenged them and said, okay, you got to make a movie with shark tornadoes. And you're like, okay, I got you. And you're like, you say, yes, I want to see what they've done with this. But with jujitsu, it's like they had opportunity to do something cool with it. And they just, I feel like they just fail, fell short uh, so badly at it. Um, but I mean, look, I was in a movie called Iron Sky, The Coming Race that was based on fucking. Uh, shape-shifting reptilians living in the center of the universe and that was fucking nuts as well but at least there was still fun moments in that and it followed a, a basic narrative of the hero's journey and stuff like that and they used rules and conceptual rules that you do in film that make it interesting the reason why we watch film but jiu-jitsu i felt like they try to break too many rules in filmmaking and ones that just uh just didn't help at all you know every now and then someone will break the rules christopher nolan does that a lot you know and it's like create something phenomenal but there's other people trying to break the rules and you're like, I wish you stuck to those rules because it'd make a lot more sense now. I think you, you need to get to such a high level before you can break rules and everything. You know, the rules are to help you at the start. If you try and break those rules too quickly, understanding why you shouldn't be doing those, then it makes it hard for you. Yeah. At the end of the day, the movie being called Jiu-Jitsu might even be bad marketing for Jiu-Jitsu. As a sport, I don't even think anyone that watches that is even going to think they're not even going to understand what the fuck jujitsu is. To be honest with you, yeah. there, was, no there was that other film, Red Belt, which was a bit better. Have yeah, you seen that? it was much better. It was a, I still think it was a bad movie. I think they, you know, but it was much, much better. Uh, I really, yeah. I honestly wish the guys from eighty seven eleven would do a jujitsu movie because I feel like they would do really good. But Sean Patrick Flannery just did a, a jujitsu movie. I'm in it as well. I play a very small role. Um, and it's much better. Uh, I won't say much about it because I want people to, to see it. But I feel like he definitely um, hears a lot. I, th I think it's much better than both those movies, put it that way. I don't want to say much about it because I'm not allowed to do it yet. But it's much better than those movies. And Sean, Sean's a great actor. And he's done jiu-jitsu all his life. He's actually a really good jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, so I, I think that'll be a much better jiu-jitsu movie. It's called... Um, Fuck. Born to be a champion or something like that. Watch it. Let me just check really quickly because I've got it right here. But it's um, it'll uh, it's a much better film. Sean Patrick Flannery. 
it was in Boondock Saints. It's called uh, looking for the fucking Born a Champion is what it's called. It's got Sean Patrick Flannery, Katrina Bowden uh, did a really good job, and Dennis Quaid plays like a, a very small role in there. But um, yeah, I checked one of the test screenings and I, I gave him my feedback. So if they fix those things, I think it'll be a really good movie. Yeah. Something relevant to to the actors. Um, have you trained with Ashton Kutcher? Nah, Craig did though. Craig told me. Really? Craig was... How was it? <laughs> Craig said he was trash. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anyone feels good trash to, to compared to Craig. Uh, Craig's really good. I've trained with two two guys. Uh, I've trained with uh, two good actors. I've trained with um, Joel Kinnaman, the Swedish actor. He's the lead in um, Suicide Squad. Uh, he's oh, from- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really good guy. Good jujitsu. You know, he's a beginner, but he's he's great, and he's just such a cool dude too. Really cool dude, um, and phenomenal actor. Uh, the other one I was training, which was um, uh, what's his actual name? He was the lead in. Um, fuck. He's got a funny name. I always forget the lead in Kickass. Remember the movie Kickass? He's yeah, in yeah, 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 yeah. The guy with the blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's in these. He's got. He was um, Quicksilver in the Marvel universe. He was in Godzilla as well, wasn't he? Was it Maybe not, Godzilla. not Godzilla? Oh, is it one of the other films, man? Yeah. That's with Josh. Josh. Oh fuck. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, he had the curly hair on it, the curly brown hair. The curly hair, brown hair. Really good actor. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, him. Him. Is a well. BJJ guy? No idea. Well, he's a white belt in jiu-jitsu, yeah. but he's learning. But a lot of the, you know, my buddy Eddie trains a lot of really good, really good actors here. He trains the lead from um, Get Out. Uh, the oh yeah, guy. yeah. He also trains Nicholas. I forget his name. He was the lead in that new Tolkien movie. He plays um, Beast in X Men. Oh God, I know, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, he's in loads of films. About boy, all those films. Yeah, he's a beast, man. So they train. They want. They want to learn jiu-jitsu like as well. So we'll probably get together sooner or later. And, do something with him yeah that's really cool man because i mean that that will probably help you meeting these people if they i mean you help them and then they can open a door for you maybe you know yeah, so just having any connection, you know all i need to do is mention a guy and they know you like oh, he's really good that makes so much more than i had of him you know what i mean 100 man yeah you're right it's just about who you know i mean you could know everything but then if you don't know down that road is the studio where we do it you can yeah. walk around for a year and you, you'll have all the best skills, but you can't use them because you don't know where you got to go. I think, I think I'm in a decent position. My brother just directed his first feature film mm. starring Megan Fox. So they shot that in Bulgaria. Oh, they're editing, yeah. they were editing in London, but they just moved to... Um, he just went back to Australia because of the lockdown in London. But, uh, you know, me and him have, have been, you know, writing stuff. Like, I shouldn't say he's been writing mainly. I know, but occasionally, like, I'll help him and stuff in, like, one movie that we're working together on and stuff. Um, but I think having him as directing movies would be very good for me because uh, I'll be able to, you know, hop in some of those movies as well, which which helps. You know, it's just it's just getting that opportunity. I know I can act, and I know I've got a lot to learn. Don't get me wrong, but I need those opportunities to learn from. You know what I mean? And and to get in. And right now, it's like it's hard because I feel like people look at you. Oh, you're just a stunt guy. You're an action guy. You know, but they don't give you the benefit. Oh, no, he's a guy that can fucking act as well. You know? Yeah. Soon they'll know, and then it'll be Soon. easier. Oh, come man. Sure. One something else I wanted to ask. We we'll go back to jujitsu now. 
what is all that hate with God for us, man? I mean, is, is it something personal or are you just teasing around, taking the piss? Just taking the piss. I, I, I pull guard. I don't care. It's just uh, I, was, I brought out a product for takedowns. So I thought it'd be a fun way of marketing is just taking the piss out of guard pullers. But uh, yeah, I have no problem with people that pull guard. I pull guard as well. I get it. It's just a, it's just a joke. Yeah, well, that's going to change this year, isn't it? With um, with the new changes in IBGF with uh, hill hooks as well, well for Nogi, yeah. it's going to change things. I think a lot of people will come out who weren't as noticed, but start coming to these competitions now, and I think they'll surprise quite a few of the main guys who like to stall in certain positions. They're not going to be able to do it anymore, are they? I think it's important. Like even with ADCC, I feel like people have realised how important wrestling is now, and mm. uh, I think that. You know, and when I say wrestling, I don't mean the sport of wrestling, but takedowns, yeah. and it adds such an element to your game, and it can give you so much confidence, confidence, and really help your jiu-jitsu. I mean, because to become really good at takedowns is you, you need to learn how to control people standing, you need to learn how to control people's hands, wrists, arms, shoulders, heads, everything, bodies, and if you don't have that understanding, uh, your jiu-jitsu is going to be lacking as well because you won't have the same understanding on the ground. But if you can do that while standing and control people, then your control on the ground when someone's on top of you or you're on top of them is so much better because you learn how to actually grip people. You learn how to control people in no game. This is something that Gordon dominates with and people just don't understand why he's so much good, like better than other people. It's like, look at the control that he has when he grabs something and when he holds something. He's relaxed and he's loose, but he's very efficient. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that do that. So I feel like the takedown stuff can really help you develop that. And that's what I focused on with my takedown product, the art of mastering takedowns for jujitsu is I'm focusing on teaching people how to control people, because if you can control people, then you can defend people and you can take people down and counter them 10 times easier than if you, you know, everything's outside the pocket and you're just trying to shoot on people and do double legs and stuff. That's going to require energy, athleticism and youth. Not everyone has that. Yeah. So, thank you very much for your time, Kit. So, for whoever watches, follow Kit Dale Official. If you know a producer that might be wanting to make a movie, just suggest Kit. Yeah. Um, check his products on Kit Dale Training. And, yep. Um, also, I'd like to add, Kit, thank you so much for coming along and sharing your, your ideas for the concept of how to learn i think a lot of people need to take that on like i know for myself and a group of friends we we move from gym to gym and we train with the best guys and we we try and do exactly what you're saying and it is about we'll, we'll spar certain positions to then make mistakes but then you know then we then we try correct them and i think that's that's that is very valuable i think if we can get that message across to a lot of our guys i mean you know in our country it's um it's a small island there's not many of us but it's not like once we get one person in, then I think the rest will take a boom. And like you guys in Australia, you know, it'll be really good if we can, you know, take take what you guys have done like that, try learn properly, like with processing, you know. And I think it's it's been really insightful. I really appreciate your time. I'm Thank sure share that. I appreciate. It. I'm sure you guys will do it. Just lead the way. It'll happen. Definitely, sure. the information so was was great. Thank you so much, Kit. No worries, guys. Appreciate take care, it. Man. Take care, man. See you guys.